I think I threw my wallet away in the trash. So I was out to eat with a friend and my wallet was definitely out when we paid for her food at the counter. And I'm pretty sure I put it in my bag after that, or at least my pocket. But now I'm home and I was like, oh, my sewing machine's broken. Dang it, I have to buy a new one. And as I was packing my bag to leave, I couldn't find my wallet. So what's up with me? Uh, I have a flat tire on my car that I'm going to change eventually, but there's no big rush because the battery is super dead and I couldn't drive it anywhere if I wanted. I've got two weeks left on my current job. It's going so great. And then I get a two week break before I start my next one. Super looking forward to that. Hopefully Emily and I will make like a bunch more podcasts, but I was supposed to do a fancy photo shoot tomorrow, but I can't finish the dress because my sewing machine broke and I don't have a working car or wallet, so I can't go to Joanne's and buy like the other stuff I need. Also, I had to get a heinous amount of dental work done on my teeth last week. However, I have a really great job that's supported by a wonderful union. Oh yeah, if you're listening, this podcast is very pro-labor and very pro-union, and I'm really grateful my union health insurance covered 75% of this huge dental emergency. But I have to go back in two weeks to get more done. Why are you getting this huge personal update? Well, it's because I didn't record any update for Way of Kings last time at all, and you folks deserve better. So now that you know what's up with me... How about you sit back and listen to me and Emily discuss The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Take it away, theme song. So if it doesn't show up in Audacity, I say. The first thing you want to do is shut down and then Emily pulls the plug out of the microphone and I was like, No! Listen, I was troubleshooting. Holler! (laughs) Holler is dead. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Oh, hi, everyone. Oh, hi. Welcome to... Wait, do we say our names first or the title first? I don't... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait. No, I think I got this. Hi, everyone. My name is Meg, and I should be working on storyboards. My name is Emily, and my book submission due date is coming up. And I haven't done anything about it. So? So, we're doing a podcast. We're making a podcast. Uh, This week, we're covering chapters 15, 16, and 17, Decoy, Cocoon, and A Bloody Red Sunrise. Nope. Yes. Yep. Sorry, I wrote sunrise and then crossed the E to look like a T. <laughs> Maybe it is sunset. <laughs> That's what listen, I get. From I get. Looking, listen, this is what I get from looking off someone else's notes instead of making my own notes. Because I get so worked up about things. It is a sunset, a oh. bloody red sunset. So it's not an E that I I crossed. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so your your notes actually say a bloody red sunstone. <laughs> Listen, I get so excited that my brain can't keep up. My hand can't keep up with my brain. So this is the only episode we're going to be recording this week. Because after this, I'm starting a, a new gig tomorrow mm-hmm. for storyboarding. And Emily, how many days until your book is due? Like 20. 
Yeah. So, but <laughs> this is still during our, our we're building a reservoir yes. of podcast episodes. So this won't affect release at all. This is just insider baseball, behind the scenes, if you will. In this reading, Adolin deals with the aftermath of the chasm fiend attack and learns a little more about the aftermath of his uncle's assassination. We see into Kaladin's childhood and we see <sighs> Kaladin on the battlefield. He doesn't have a super great day. But do you know what? It's not the worst. It's not the worst. So maybe we should make a chart. How <laughs> and like chart how good and or bad the chapters were for, nice. for Kaladin. Nice. Uh, so we're going to start with the decoy. Uh, Emily, I'm going to have you read the epigraph. It says, you do not agree with my quest. Those are terrible snacks for podcasts. Do you want one? No, I have to read the epitaph. Read it. You do not agree. (laughs) My dog heard one crunch and is here for your snack. You can't have it. All right. I'm going to wait until you read. <laughs> no, just read it. Okay, guys. I want you to imagine <laughs> cool <laughs> Dorito ranch wafting through the air. Put, put these on your... My bit's over. You can just oh. put them on your bed. <laughs> on the stand now. All right. <laughs> oh, my poor puppy's just like, is it for me too? All right. <clears throat> You do not agree. <laughs> now I completely <laughs> empathize with Griffin McElroy. <laughs> okay, you're, you're go. All right. You said that last time. I know, but I have no more chips now. <laughs> you do not agree with my quest. I understand that. So much as it is possible to understand someone with whom I disagree so completely. So the way I understand it, this is a letter that is being read, or a letter that's being it's a letter. It's not being read or Pieces written. Of a it's letter. just yeah. a piece of a letter. When we hit the end of part two, I'll read all the letter to you in order. Oh, okay. That sounds Or great. whatever it is. Or whatever it is. The very first note I have in my notes here says, Adolin doesn't know how Fabrials work. And I wrote, me neither, buddy. <laughs> so Adolin is overseeing the cleanup after the Chasm Fiend attack, which... Uh, killed 50 people, men that Adolin knew. And when he brought, like, the initial death count to the king, Elokar, Elokar sort of, like, shrugged it off and be like, oh, they'll be honored in the next life. And um, it's interesting seeing, like, how Adolin, you know, has to has to deal with the cleanup and Elokar doesn't. Mm-hmm. And one of them he, takes it more seriously and the other one doesn't. He just, Elokar gets to go on with his day and not think about what has happened. Mm-hmm. And as he's doing this, um, Adolin is thinking about Dalinar and just how amazing it was when he stopped the Chasm Fiend. And people haven't been gossiping about Dalinar since it happened. Like, you can tell the mood has changed. But, you know, Adolin knows this isn't permanent. And he says, oh, do you know what? And, you know, pretty soon this is this is just going to this is going to come back. But he has the final report. He thinks it's a little silly, but his dad has asked him to deliver it. He's going to deliver it. 
And he's like, hmm, maybe I can listen in on my dad and Sadius and the king talking. So uh, while Adolin's doing this, Dalinar is just standing at the edge of the plateau, staring eastward towards the origins. Yeah. Yeah. And he is thinking about the last six years. And we find a little bit more about the logistics of the war. Uh, originally, it was Dalinar's idea to do a siege strategy like this, that we set up our camps um, at the west end of the Shattered Plains. They're kind of cut off in the north and the south by, you know, wilderness or, or ocean, and that the Parshendi would have no way out, and that, you know, we could just very slowly, uh, you know, attack them piece at a time, uh, wear them down, and eventually, like, that's how we can fulfill the vengeance pact because you know an, an original idea would be like if we had just tried to strike at them by moving across the shattered plains it would be a logistical nightmare because you know just one bad attack could cut us off we'd be stranded out on the plateaus with you know no way back to safety mm-hmm. however um he was saying the parshendi kind of anticipated this and have hunkered down and have lots of supplies and have been here for six years mm-hmm and don't look like they're running out of supplies either. And something that Dalar didn't factor in are the gem hearts. Mm-hmm. And do you want to talk about chasm fiends and gem hearts? You, uh, you kind of guessed this in an earlier episode. Just I seeing, did? just seeing pieces of what Kaladin saw his first bridge run, some strange crystals thing, and you were like, I bet they're fighting for something inside that. Well, maybe I do have a really good imagination. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. Oh, I have some. Okay, here's some questions I have. You don't necessarily have to answer them. This is just me thinking out loud. What? We're we're talking about chasm fiends first. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm wondering how many of them are there? If these were a new discovery, it seems like they're a new discovery. Um, But I'm wondering. Are they going to go extinct? Because we find out through this chapter that the war isn't necessarily being fought now about the Vengeance Pact. It's kind of a race to see who can get to the Chasm Fiends first and, you know, cut out their hearts. So for for clarity, a Chasm Fiend in one of the stages of its life will crawl up on top of a plateau and put itself in a chrysalis. So you don't come across, you know, we had a pretty dangerous encounter with a fully grown active chasm fiend. But when they crawl up on a plateau and pupate, that is when we go after them and also the Parshendi go after them. And uh, the Alethi, they want it for the gem heart inside of it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering how many have they killed because... To me, it seems like they use the gem hearts for the spheres for their currency, and it's not an endless supply. It's pretty finite, and I'm wondering if they're going to be hunted into extinction. Those are my, those are my questions for the future. So, oh, and if I don't remember if I said this, but if they're a new discoverer, if they knew that. I wonder how they discovered there were gem hearts inside of them. That's what I wonder. So yeah, the beasts come out frequently, uh, sometimes several times a week, as long as the weather isn't too cold. So they like they like warm weather. And then spren watch time, there is a new spren floating over 
the body of the chasm fiend they killed. Oh, and they don't know what it is, so I've just called it Mystery Spren. Yeah, they look like tongues of smoke that might come off a, a candle that's been snuffed out. Um, so nobody knows what kind of spren they are. So, like, they haven't named them. You only see them around the freshly killed bodies of great shells. So, twofold with getting the chrysalises. One, it's the only reason why the Parshendi, they'll, like, extend their, um, armies and their resources to try and get a gem heart. So you can fight Parshendi where a gem heart is. And then also, if we get a gem heart, we can use it for soul casting. Uh, High Prince can use it to pay their uh, to pay their expenses because, you know, uh, High Princes, they have to pay and feed thousands of troops. Mm-hmm. And a gem heart can cover their expenses for like a month. Mm-hmm. And they are very competitive as to who gets the gem hearts. Basically, if you get there first, like once one has been spotted, if you can get your army and all the bridgemen there first, you basically have dibs on it. And it says Sadius is the one who's usually the fastest. And if he gets word later that someone else has beat him to it, he'll stop everyone and they'll turn around and go back to their camp. Mm -hmm. Because besides money, what else do they use the gem hearts for? Their currency. Besides money, (laughs) what else do they use the gem hearts for? Soul casting. Yeah. And the bigger a gemstone is, the less likely it is to shatter. So if you can get a really huge one, you can have like near limitless potential. So I'm envisioning this as, remember how Yasna Kalin is able to just like um, basically transfer stone into smoke if... Well, first of all, I don't understand how it works, but I just wonder if the more you use this giant gem heart, the smaller and smaller and smaller it gets. I'm just, I'm just curious about the logistics of it all. Curious to learn more. Like a proper scholar should be. Hey, take me as your ward, Yasna (laughs) Colin. So we talk a little bit more about the war. We don't know why the Parshendi killed King Gavilar. Like, Elikar sent messages asking. And and they never they never got any replies back. And here's what I think. You ready? Uh-huh. I think someone paid the Parshendi off to take the fall. Okay. I That's why I think they haven't given him a good answer. I don't know what that would be for, whether they need the Alethi distracted somehow, or if, I think this is all part of some bigger plan. That is my that is my my uh, guess. Those are interesting guesses. We'll we'll keep an eye out on that. Oh, stop! Back it up. Okay, I hate Sadius. Well, that's good because we're gonna talk about him next. I hate him. I hate him. Eleanor goes to talk with Elokar in his oh. yellow and violet tent. Sadius is there. Uh, let's get a little bit of a description of Sadius. He has a head of thick black curly hair. Um, I always picture him looking like a hair like Captain Hook, you know, <laughs> those, those like really extravagant curled wigs. Mm-hmm. And he's been, he's been talking with Elokar about something before Dalinar comes over. And so he and, and Dalinar have a talk first. And Emily, why do you hate Sadia so much? <sighs> you guys, I was so angry. I was almost shaking after I read this because we find out that the war like we said before, the purpose of the war has been turned more from vengeance to profiteering because whoever can run and get the gemstones first, that's who wins. And that's what Sadius cares about. And so 
from Kaladin's point of view, we get like war is this great, grand, terrible thing. But for Sadius, it's merely for profit. I hated that. And uh, Bridgman and Bridge Cruz is something unique to Sadius. Mm -hmm. The way that he runs his bridge crew, um, I guess he, there are several different ways you can do it. Dalinar's crews. Dalinar has animal pulled and mechanical bridges. Mm -hmm. They are slower. So Dalinar, on wheels. Yeah, they're on wheels. Dalinar rarely, I mean, he rarely goes out on bridge runs and then he rarely reaches the plateau first. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't lose as many men. And and he's like, he, Dalinar's talking to say, Sadius and is saying, you won't even let them use shields. Like, People are aware of how these bridgemen are treated and they do nothing about it because Sadius is basically like, it's none of your business how I do this. And he, his reasoning for what he does with his bridge crew, I can see how it makes sense to him because if the bridge crew doesn't have shields or anything like that, then the Parshendi go and focus on the bridgemen rather than the soldiers, which allow the soldiers to go on and do the actual you know uh harvesting of the gem hearts and to have and, and to see it firsthand to see kaladin's firsthand um experiences and to know that the only reason it's that way is so that sadius can become richer i'm gonna read i'm gonna read a little bit of it oh he um, made me so angry elokar uh elokar calls dalinar over and he's like sadius you know, he's like, Sadius has won three gem hearts in the last week. How many have you won? And Dalinar hasn't won any gem hearts. And so... Listen, he technically won the one that day. I think. You should switch to bridges like his, Elokar said. Your majesty, Dalinar said. Sadius's bridges waste many lives. But they are also fast, Sadius said smoothly. Oh. Relying on wheeled bridges is foolish, Dalinar. Getting them over the plateau terrain is slow and plodding. The codes state that a general may not ask a man to do anything he would not do himself. Tell me, Sadius, would you run at the front of those bridges you use? I wouldn't eat gruel either, Sadius said dryly, or cut ditches. But you might if you had to, Dalinar said. The bridges are different. Stormfather, you don't even let them use armor or shields. Would you enter combat without your plate? The bridgemen serve a very important function, Sadia snapped. They distract the Parshendi from firing at my soldiers. I tried giving them shields at first. And you know what? The Parshendi ignored the bridgemen and fired volleys onto my soldiers and horses. I found that doubling the number of bridges on a run, then making them extremely light, no armor, no shields to slow them, the bridgemen work far better. There's a special place for this man, and it's not the good place. <laughs> uh, Sadis uh, later on mentions that uh, the bridge, uh, the Parshendi just keep firing at them, so... I assume that for whatever reason, they think killing a bridgeman hurts us, as if an unarmored man carrying a bridge was worth the same to the army as a mounted knight in plate. <sighs> hate it. You guys, I can't even, I can't even tell you. I can't. 
tell you how much I hate this person. So because of this, Dalinar starts thinking about the last words he had from Gavilar. Mm -hmm. That written message. Uh, Which is interesting because I didn't make the connection at that point because, you know, still early on in the thing. But everyone... the Okay, so the people that found Gavilar mm -hmm. were horrified. Not, well, A, he was dead. He was dead. But B, that... It seems to them he had written those words. What what are but, they say? Brother, you must find the most important words a man can say. And everyone that, you know, they kept it very hush-hush. Because? Because men aren't supposed to write. And it's a very shameful thing if a man can do that because it's women's work. Not that it's less than, you know, what it's just, it's not done. And so done. Seth did not know this and he kind of started something by writing the words out as if gavilar had said them you to know dalinar. to dalinar and which uh, i thought was really interesting this is a quote from an ancient text called the way of kings hey that's the title of this that's book. the title of this book it's very cool oh question yep so way of kings is basically their scripture no 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 um it's it's not like a scripture book like the bible uh, we'll learn more about it. Does Dalinar talk more about it in this chapter? That it's, it's more of a guideline, I guess, because... It was, it was written by, uh, listen, I can't remember if that was mentioned here or not. I, I will, I will say, y'all, I have been reading ahead because I've been trying to reread the series before I get to Rhythm of War. Uh, so I'm much farther in this book right now than Emily. Um... But so that means she has to depend on my my terrible memory to be like, have we read yeah. this yet? And I'm like, ah. Dalinar will talk more about it. So, but I feel comfortable in telling you that the Way of Kings is a collection, almost like a memoir from uh, an older king years and years ago, and his thoughts on uh, class, ruling, and honor and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, so my question is, Vorin is the religion? Yes. Do only Alethi follow this? Is that like... Mm -mm. Okay. Uh, Vorn is the prevalent religion in the West. In the West. So okay. uh, Shalon is from a country called... Do you remember? If you don't, it's okay. Call, not Kalbranth. She's in Kalbranth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going up to Kalbranth. <laughs> um, it's two words. Yes, it is. Yeah. Nah. No. Nope. <laughs> She's from Yakoved. Yakoved. And Yakoved is the country right next door to Alethkar. And Shalon is Vorin. Got it. She follows the Vorin religion. So it's it's very prevalent in the West. Got it. Seth is not Vorin. No, he's Shin. Yes. Ovar. He's from Shinovar. So he is Shin. Thank you. I also have in giant letters, surely underlined do you I remember don't why remember why well, i wrote that let me tell you because uh sadius and dalinar start with smooth words but then they start to get a little more snippy um because dalinar's like it's a ward not a contest and sadius is like everything's a contest and some of us are failing and adolin pops in <laughs> just is like my father is one of the most renowned warriors he almost calls sadius a coward he gets it like halfway out it's like you saw what he did earlier sadius while you were hiding back by the pavilion with your bow my father held up the beast you're a coward and then and dalinar like cuts him off and then sadius uh is like oh 
nice sons you have there. <laughs> you must be a Weasley. <laughs> uh, and he's like, one son can barely control himself. The other one's incompetent. And Dalinar's like, I'm proud of both of my sons. And Sadie's like, okay, the firebrand, Adolin, I can understand. You are impetuous like him. But the other one, you saw how he ran onto the field. He even forgot to draw his sword or his bow. He's useless. And like, Renarin is oh, mortified. He's flushing. And Adolin snaps his head up. He thrusts his hand to the side, ready to summon his shard blade. And Dalinar's like, Adolin, I will handle this. And then he does this speech to Sadius. He says, Sadius, surely I did not just hear you openly before the king call my son useless. Surely you would not say that, as such an insult would demand that I summon my blade and seek your blood. Shatter the vengeance pact. Cause the king's two greatest allies to kill one another. Surely you would not have been that foolish. Surely I misheard. <laughs> so that's why you wrote surely. That's why I wrote surely. So big in your notes and underlined it. Because then Sadius is like, yes. He's like, yeah, I am pretty sure you heard me wrong. I, that would not have been uh, wise. <laughs> Um, and Elokar is just like, oh, it's good for boys to fight. And I'm like, <laughs> I get a very, okay, this is a, maybe not a silly uh, comparison, but I get a very Draco, Harry Potter vibe between these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, but an older, like, yeah. you yeah. know, younger, more uh, impulsive Harry Potter and Draco wouldn't yeah. have made it this far. Because yeah, <laughs> They Dal- would have been at each other's throats already. But these guys have been seasoned and have had time to, you know, temper their tempers. Oh, yeah. Uh, age-wise, uh, Dalinar's in his 40s. Got it. Um, because uh, Dalinar mentions that they are allies, but they are not friends. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Um, quick question. I wrote some questions down. Okay. Um, I wondered how that would shatter the Vengeance Pact, but I'm I'm assuming because Dalinar's a high prince, Correct. so is Sadius. Uh-huh. I'm wondering if part of the Vengeance Pact is you can't raise a weapon against each other because you're supposedly united. Um, and I'm wondering if they promised to unite... What, what did I write? Did they promise to unite until vengeance was carried out? Or is this we will be united forever sort of a thing? Um, and what is the cost of breaking the Vengeance Pact? Yeah. So, interesting. Well, to literally cut the tension, guess who arrives on the scene? It's the King's Wit, a.k.a. Hoyd. Hoyd! Uh, I'm so excited. Hey, oh, where was he during the whole chasm theme you thing? You know, I'm sure he was just around somewhere, like, real nonchalant and innocently. Yeah, the king is like, you got here hours ago. Where have you been? And Wit's like, I had things to be about (laughs) um and he goes after sadius oh yeah he but you know in a very like elizabeth bennett mr darcy pride and prejudice regency sort of oh no 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 no. oh no 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 i think he's much more blunt and nasty got it (laughs) he makes several uh besmirching comments about sadius's 
uh, morality and his appeal and is like, oh yeah, you have to pay people to uh, get what you want out of them. That's right. Uh, so the, the nastiest one is like, I point out truths when I see them, bright Lord Sadius. Each man has his place. Mine is to make insults. Yours is to be insults. And you know what? Sadius flushes, and I think wit may have touched a nerve there. I think so. And um, as this goes on, I mean, Sadius is just like... Here, let me see. Sadius is ready to kill him. He really is. You can't kill the king's wit. Why not? It says, killing the king's wit was legal. We're told that straight out. But by so doing, out in the open, you know, Sadius would forfeit his title and lands. Most men found it a poor enough trade not to do it in the open. Of course, if you could assassinate a wit without anyone knowing it was you, that was something different. So while this is still, I'm sure, a very elevated position, uh, you're not protected. I mean, listen, anyone can kill a king. But also... It's illegal to kill the king. That doesn't mean people won't try. But it is legal to kill the king's wit. You will just lose a bunch of stuff if you're brazen enough to do it out in the mm-hmm. open. Which I think is funny. Because the king isn't supposed to insult people out in the open. And so you shouldn't assassinate the king's wit out in the open. But if you could do it, Secretly. you know, in an underhanded way. I just thought that was a fun... Um, so wit gives Sadius a challenge. And he's like, if you can speak yet say nothing ridiculous, I'll leave you alone for the rest of the week. Well, I think that shouldn't be too difficult. And yet you failed, Wit said, sighing. For as you said, I think. And I can imagine nothing so ridiculous as the concept of you thinking. And then he turns to Renarin. He's like, what of you, young Prince Renarin? Your father wishes me to leave you alone. Can you speak yet say nothing ridiculous? Everyone turns to look at Renarin, who thinks it over. And Emily, what does he say? Nothing ridiculous. And Wit is like, oh, very clever. He's like, if, if Sadius kills me, you could be the next Wit. And Renarin? Yeah. Kind of is like, oh. Like, he's like, he's proud of that. I could be. Like, it was so cute. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, we are bringing up first piece of a mystery. Adolin and Dalinar are talking afterwards. Elokar has asked Dalinar to look into something. What does he want Dalinar to look into? The During the battle with the Kazanfiend, the king had turned his horse and the saddle had snapped. The girth had snapped. And the king has sent Dalinar and Adolin to go look at it and make sure it wasn't... Um, Messed with? It wasn't... The king believes his saddle girth was cut. Sabotaged. And Dalinar's like... Well, sorry, no. Adolin first is like, this is an incompetent assassination attempt because a fall from a horseback wouldn't hurt a shard bearer. And Dalinar's like, you know, like, if it was an attempt, even incompetent, we need to look into it. And... Uh... Adolin is like, listen, we, we're wasting our time with things like this. We need to be out there. We need to be fighting the war. We need to be, like, earning glory. This uh, is wasting our time. If we, you know, if we keep going like this, we're never going to catch up to Sadius. And Dalinar's like, we are not just talking about the saddle anymore, are we? And Adolin is just like, Father, I don't know why you trust him. And here we get to the title of the chapter. Um... Dalinar and Adolin go to talk to a different high prince who was there. And Dalinar's uh, 
sits down and is like, oh, you're doing really well. I guess you're going to you're gonna build more out on your war camp then. So you need access to the king's soul casters. Isn't it great? The king has soul casters out here. And Adolin's like, What's, what is going on? And this other high prince is like, I take your point, Dalinar. No need to keep smashing me in the face with it. And Adolin is like, what? So... Sadius has already talked to this high prince earlier and said something. And now Dalinar has come to talk to this high prince and says, Isn't it great the king has soulcasters? What is this two-pronged attack about, Emily? Okay, so I'm a little confused about it. Um, because, let's see. Uh, la, 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 la. Oh, because this high prince, Varna, Vanna? Vama. Vama has been vocal, very vocally complaining about... Um, the fees that the king is charging that his high princes in order to use soul casters, which makes sense. The king doesn't like earn wow. any money or anything, yeah. but he does have this for his high princes to use, and he charges money for them to, to use it. And soul casters are the ones who create food for the armies, who've created the barracks where they live. Like the soul casters are integral to keeping the camps running by mm -hmm. providing things. Um, but I was a little confused, um, because, so Dalinar says he reminded this high prince of how much he relies on the king, um, and Adolin is confused because he's like, what does this have to do with Sadius, Sadius, um, and Sadius and Dalinar meet back up and Sadius is like, hey, did you talk to him? And Dalinar's like, Yeah. Um, you told him you were increasing what you charge him for wood. Sadius controlled the only large forest in the region, and he's doubling the charge for wood. Um, and so I'm wondering, here's, okay, tell me if I'm right or not. Okay. So the king, sorry, Vama has been complaining about how much the king is charging them to use soul casters, which he would need to use to fortify his camps. And in order to get him to be more publicly aligned with the king, Sadius has doubled the price of his wood so that Vama has to go to the king. <coughs> I have a tickle in my throat. <coughs> it's punishment for eating those Doritos. <laughs> Is this a way for them to keep everyone united? Like are Dalinar and Sadius... A bit. Um, It's more like... Vama was going to skirt the king's high prices for soul casters by buying cheaper wood from Sadius. Now, Sadius has agreed with Dalinar to raise the price of his wood so high that Vama has to rely on the king for his wood and lumber to expand his camp. Got it. But wouldn't that just also make him still angry about things? Time out. You've got a clump of mascara on your lashes. It's driving me crazy. Okay. Yes, but it it's better for him to support the king than it is for him to support Sadius. Okay. Because this was also my question. Because at one point he was thinking of going back, sending people back. Vama was thinking. Vama was thinking of sending people back to bring wood all the way back across the plains to his camp. Why would they care where he got that wood from? Just because he's not using what the king Well, it would provides? be way more expensive for him to do that as well. Basically, they're making the king Vama's best option. Got it. Okay, that makes more sense. 
I took economics in college. Oh, well, twice. <laughs> How many times? So it took you twice. To- it took me twice to pass economics. It took me, I think, four times to pass statistics. Listen. Because I just wouldn't pay attention in class. <laughs> I would just draw or read or not go to class. <laughs> I vividly Listen, remember. Listen, college sleeping- is fun, guys. You can do whatever you want. I vividly remember sleeping through several of my econ classes the first time I took it because it was the middle of the day and I would be exhausted from having been going, going, going since 6 a.m. And you know what? A 1 p.m. two-hour econ class is the perfect time to take a nap in a giant auditorium. (laughs) Uh, Real quick, Vama is a fashion plate. All right. What is Vama wearing? I love this. Um, he was dressed in a fashionable long brown coat that had slashes cut through it to expose the bright yellow silk lining. It was a subdued fashion, not as ostentatious as wearing silks on the outside. Adolin thought it looked nice. Adolin is a big fashion fan. Love that. He loves style and fashion and he never gets to wear it because his dad has requested. He always wears his shard armor. No, uh, uniforms. Uniforms. Yeah. Adolin doesn't have... Aelin does have shard, shard mer. He has shard plate. Got it. Aelin has shard plate and a shard blade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sadius only has shard plate. Right. And Renarin has neither. Got it. So after the discussion with Vama, Dalinar and Sadius, you know, touch base to be like, does it work? And and Dalinar confides in Sadius. He's like, you know what? Uh, about the king, he says, the boy's paranoia worries me. I don't know where he gets it. And Sadius is like, Dalinar... Are you are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like, oh yes. Uh, Talonler's like, of course he's paranoid because his father was killed by assassins. And Sadius is like, he's paranoid because of the way you treat him. A thousand guards halts on every plateau to secure the next one over. It's like, Dalinar, you're the paranoid one. He's picking it up from you. And Dalinar's like, but the codes and Sadius, the codes are a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> More like guidelines and actual <laughs> rules. Um, and so Sadius, they basically end it with, Sadius says, I'll protect the boy my way. You do it your way. But don't complain to me about his paranoia when you insist on wearing your uniform to bed just in case the Parshendi suddenly decide against all reason and president to attack the war camps. I don't know where he gets it indeed. <laughs> I I enjoyed their interactions because mm-hmm. there's you can tell there's a history there without brandon sanderson having to spell everything out he does a really great job um putting in tiny little little bits of information and kind of letting the the reader understand what's happening without spelling it out and i just like the sense of history that they have and that they completely disagree about what they're doing but they are there to protect the king yeah. They are there for the same reason. They're just going about it two very different ways. And yeah, I love having these two characters with the same goal and different everything else. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. And so, why is this chapter called The Decoy? I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Adeline is finally like, listen, dad, 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 you have to tell me. What is the deal? You guys hate each other. Everyone knows this. And the night that Gavilar was killed, I'm going to make absolutely sure. I mean, it's called the decoy. It's called the 
decoy. They should say it in here. <gasps> Who was the decoy? Was it Sadius? Okay, yeah, it is in here. Okay. <laughs> so if you were... <laughs> I was about to make a leap. Back in the prologue, when Seth goes to kill the king, mm-hmm. he sees the king being escorted away by a group of guards. Right. Turns out Sadius was that decoy. Got it. It was his idea. He said, Gavilar, give me your robe. And so he tried to lure Seth away to kill him instead. And Dalinar, meanwhile, was downstairs. Drunk as a skunk. Dropped head drunk on the floor. And both of them have hated the other person forever because of their role that night. Because Dalinar's like, Sadius shouldn't have left him. Like, the decoy idea was a good idea, but it failed, and Gavilar died, and neither of them have ever been able to forgive the other. Mm. So that's that's part of their history. Sadius earlier was saying stuff about the way of kings, the codes, that it's basically nonsense, and who really listens to that? I can't remember if Adolin or, or Davilar. Dalinar. Dalinar um, says this, but they mentioned that in... The Way of Kings, it mentions that the light eyes are below the dark eyes. But in this world, the whole caste system is based on light eyes being above dark eyes. And no wonder people dismiss it because it's going to mess up their whole way of yeah. life. And, and it's not saying that the caste system should be switched, but it's it says that the light eyes should be in service to the dark eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh yeah, so... so they think Gavilar could write because of what Seth did. Yeah. The only people that know is Sadius, Dalinar, now Adolin. Now Adolin. Yasna and Elokar know. Mm-hmm. So Gavilar Because they had know. to get Yasna to come and read what it what it said. Which I was like, oh hey, that's pretty cool. Um, so this book. Okay, he does talk about it here. Okay. Uh Dalinar's reading this ancient book called The Way of Kings, and it's uh, a story, a book used by the Radiance as a kind of guidebook. And the Radiance, so Adolin is pretty stunned about this group of people called the Radiance. Who do you think the Radiance are? They're the Voidbringers, right? Or the Heralds. <laughs> oh, wow, it what? sounds like you need a couple more data points uh, to figure that out. Uh, uh, so they, listen, this saddle strap. Hey, Emily, I love you. You're going to hate hearing about this saddle strap. <laughs> they have to go. They have to do so much research on it because Ooh. Elokar is like, it was cut. It was cut. And they're like, well, it kind of looks smooth. Like somebody filed it down. But again, we're not experts. We need to go talk to the experts. And Elokar gets really angry that he believes they're trying to dismiss his fears. And he gives, he gives Dalinar this look. Like he suspects even Dalinar. Oh, that's right. That I think both Adolin and Dalinar realized that, yeah, the king is paranoid and we have to take care of this. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I know we've put in a lot of detail into this chapter. It is a big chunk of, of, of what we read today. But um, just before we go, Dalinar checks in with his Rayshadium, who got... His like, name's Gallant. Yeah, he was... He was not hurt on the battlefield, like not horribly hurt. He was harmed, I would say, instead of hurt. And so he tells the, the, I like this moment, because as a pet owner, this really resonates with me. <laughs> but he tells basically the, the stable boy, the page boy, says, give him two crisp melons tonight with his food. And the page 
you know, stable boy is like, oh, but Bright Lord, he won't eat extra food. He never does if we give it to him. And Dalinar's like, he'll eat it tonight. He's earned it. And he looks at the horse. He says, you'll eat the extra melons. And the horse's like, <laughs> Dalinar's like, you do. You deserve them. And I'm like, oh. Um, we have a... Dalinar remembers a full passage from The Way of Kings. Because he can't read it because he doesn't know how to read. So he mentions he's had it read to him multiple times. And so he's been able to memorize bits and pieces of it. And it's it's like a little parable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks about a... And, and so The Way of Kings was written by a king back in the past. And this king sees uh, someone carrying a giant boulder... Uh, down a busy thoroughfare. People made way, not because they feel sorry for this guy, but, you know, you don't get in the way of, of someone like this. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know what, the monarch is like this man where he carries the weight of the kingdom. No one wants to help. Um, and he's left to carry it alone. So the king leaves his carriage, takes up the stone, and lifting it for the man. I believe my guards were embarrassed. One can ignore a poor shirtless wretch doing such labor, but none ignore a king sharing the load. Perhaps we should switch places more often. If a king is seen to assume the burden of the poorest of men, perhaps there will be those who will help him with his own load, so invisible, yet so daunting. And so thinking of this, Dalinar nods his thanks to the bridgeman as he rides over. Oh, I love that. They were the lowest in the army, and yet they bore the weight of kings. Awesome. Couple things before we close out this chapter. Interesting things. Um, we find out that Dalinar's wife has passed since passed on. Oh gosh, I completely forgot about Dalinar's wife. Well, they only briefly <laughs> mention her because Dalinar can't remember her. He didn't let me do my bit. I was trying to say I completely forgot about Dalinar's oh. wife, <laughs> and then I was going to be. You know who else did? Dalinar. Dalinar Sorry you. that I ruined it. <laughs> we can take a second take. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, and so I don't know if this was done on purpose. I mean, listen, when I say forgot, I mean, when he pictures scenes that she was in, he can remember everyone else clearly, but her, she's kind of like blurred out a little bit. Um, and it seems like it's a deliberate thing. So I don't know if there's someone in there that can mess with memory. If this is a mourning thing where when your significant other dies, some you go undergo some ritual or whatever. So what's her name? Doesn't say. He doesn't even know her name. Doesn't even know her name. I hated that. Ugh. Not as much as Sadius, but I hated that. Oh, also, what I want to have happen Mm-hmm. In delicious justice, I want Sadius to have to run his bridge one day as a bridgeman. Um, that's what I want. So you can't always stop can. it. I can have this. <laughs> Remember how you were hoping that someone would get shoved into the chasms every single Since chapter? Sadi- oh, yes. <laughs> I hope someday that dream comes true okay. for you. Also, one last thing: shard armor can repair itself. Yeah, it, like, grows back into the right shape, which I thought was cool. Um, so. so that's about the end of that. We have a special picture, I guess. Uh, we have an insert. It is the Alethi Codes of War. It looks like a 
medieval illuminated, illuminated page, and it basically lists kind of what um, Dalinar and Sadius and the king were talking about, where... Um, I would like to read the Alethi Codes Oh, okay, War. okay. So here are the codes that Dalinar is making everyone in his camp follow, and all the other Alethi think he's kind of silly for this. Readiness. The officer will be prepared at all times for battle, never drunken on wine, never without his weapon. And wait, sorry. He didn't write these? No. This is from the Way of Kings? No, these are just like the general. These are our... These are our nation's codes of war. Got it, got it. Sorry, continue. Um, but but the night before he died, Gavilar's like, Dalinar, keep to the codes. <laughs> and so Dalinar's on the server sense. Um, so readiness, and now inspiration. The officer will wear his uniform when in public to look ready for war and to give strength to his troops. Restraint. The officer will refrain from needless duels, arguments or squabbles with other officers in camp to prevent injury for men who may be needed to command leadership the officer will require no action of his soldiers that he would not be willing to perform himself <coughs> sadius <coughs> honor the officer will not abandon allies on the field nor will he seek to profit from the loss of his allies what i just had a i had a i had a about the Kaladin chapter. Lightly how... just struck my brain. I've had an epiphany. Basically, Kaladin follows these codes better than Sadius mm-hmm. does. Uh, so um, when Dalinar cut in to be like Sadius, surely, surely, Dalinar was keeping to the codes. He was trying to keep from unnecessary duels. Love you it. know who could have used these? Alexander <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> Sheesh, man, how many duels does a person need to fight? All right, let's move to chapter 16. Chapter 16, Cocoon. This is a flashback chapter Mm -hmm. of Kaladin's. Which, I guess who we got to see in it? Laurel. Well, yes. (laughs) Tien, his little brother, who's about two years younger than he is, so. Mm -hmm. Who is adorable. It's like a puppy dog. Yeah, uh... (gasps) Oh no! Did she just picture your dog as Tien? No, I saw no. you looking at your dog and then. No, gasping. I was looking afar. Oh. We're gonna have to read about probably the day Tien dies and how he dies. I don't want to do it. Can we skip that chapter? <laughs> well, yes, I we do. No, We're skipping it. If it exists, universal decision. If it exists, I think you'd have to read it. This is terrible. I hate this so much. <laughs> we can just quit now. Okay. <laughs> um, so That's all, folks. Cal is out with Tien, just out in the fields outside town. Uh, and he's sitting with a girl, Kaladin's own age, called Laurel. Who is a light eyes. Mm-hmm. Kaladin is a dark eyes. But Kaladin apparently has a light eyes name. We don't know why, but but yeah, he, he just goes by Cal though. Mm-hmm. But Caladin sounds really fancy, so he just goes by Cal. Um, and she has black hair with gold streaks in it, and then she has bright pale green eyes. And Caladin says there really was something different about being a light eyes, so he doesn't hate them yet. Um, but uh, he's he's commiserating because he's like my my dad wants to send me to call Bronze to be a servant. Like, no, surgeon. Sorry. My dad wants to send me to call Bronf to be a surgeon. And Laurel is like, oh, 
why don't you want to go to war? You want to go to war, right? So you could get shard, and you could get a sword, and then you could be a light eyes. And Caliban's like, the odds for that are so low. Um, he's kind of like, girls are weird. But apparently, what they believe is that if you win a shard blade, you become a light eyes. And how old are these kids? Um, at this point. Kaladin's 12 years old. Okay. And it's very funny to read this scene from Kaladin's point of view because clearly, what does this girl want? Oh, she wants him to be a light eyes. I'm assuming so she can marry him. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's like, well, he's like, why would I want to do that? And she's like, well, uh, uh, and I'm just like, Kaladin, you dummy, you sweet dum-dum. So, like, they're getting to the bit where they're getting a little older. They're getting, you know, they're nearing puberty. Um, so, like, there's a moment where Kaladin jumps down off the rock and Laurel holds out her hand and she's like, help me down. And Kaladin's like, you're a better climber than me. Why would I help you down? And she's like, it's polite, <laughs> Kaladin. <laughs> she's almost old enough to have a modesty glove. Mm-hmm. So, uh, her father is High Lord. Of this place? Yeah. He's, okay. He's like the local lord of, mm-hmm. of, of their town. Uh, what did Tian... What's Tian doing? He's looking for basically Wait, like... A, sorry. Oh. First, he's bringing a rock to Kaladin. Oh. Tian apparently brings rocks to Kaladin. Like this is a... a he, he brings one to him and it's something that he has done, I guess, all his life? Yeah. It, and Kaladin's like, it's just a rock. And Tian's like, no, no, like... Look at this! Look at this pattern, and it's got this really beautiful strata and stuff, and, and it, it is just a rock. But Cal finds himself smiling, mm-hmm. and Laurel points out that like, you know what? You're you're always in a better mood when Tian's around. Aww. And Kaladin has a whole collection of these back at the house. Yeah, because he doesn't Tian get rid of the rocks given. that Tian sends him. So, um, I would like to plug this back to a scene earlier in the book when Syl brings him the leaf. I think. That really reminded him of how Tian always brought him rice. I'm pretty sad about everything. Uh, But they're they're looking for little critters. I don't remember what they're called, but they're like frogs. Lurgs. Lurgs. That spin like fine cocoons around them. That the cocoons can be dissolved with water. And so that's what they're looking for. These weird little creatures. Yeah, so like when it, when a high storm comes by, the cocoons dissolved, the lurk gets a bunch of water, and then it cocoons itself back up again. Um, so so they find one, and they they find one like that jumps around and stuff. And Cal's like, Tia, maybe we could get two. We can you can have one, you can keep, and then you can drop one on Dad in the in the <laughs> bathtub sometime. Um. Oh, so they're they talk more about winning. The shard blade. I think mm-hmm. Laurel is very focused on this. And so I said, winning a shard blade, I thought there were only 10. Do they not know? Do I know something they don't? Which they're they're 12. So, you know, that's not a great thing to lord over a 10, you know, 10-year-old. I know something you don't. <laughs> I know something you don't know. <laughs> Your life's gonna suck. <laughs> oh, we do know that. So um so yeah if you apparently if you kill a shard bearer you get the shard blade mm-hmm. and apparently it can turn a dark eyes into a light eyes um they run into 
some of Kaladin's peers. peers. I would not say friends. Yeah, I wasn't going to say friends either, but um, they are, they should be in the field working, but uh, right now the adults are trying to figure out if this field is needs to be, if it can be saved basically, and the kids have been sent away. And so these kids have to work. They're farmers. And that's something that comes up several times is um, the ardents, are preaching the value of soldiers and it's the highest form of honor you can have and all of these things and anyone who works in the king's army should be proud that they're blessed oh but farmers are good too guys like you guys are like you're real close you're you're better than the soul we need you guys like basically yeah be happy be happy you're a farmer farming's great yeah and these kids um have some feelings about Kaladin not having to work in the field and they kind of think that he's there's some jealousy think that he's better than them and he's just like I keep trying to tell him I have to study all the time all the time and it's hard and they don't get it and they're mad at me that I don't have to work in the fields and I'm like oh that's a that's a rough place to be in Mm -hmm. when you know it's two different hard things and they're they're hard in different ways and I just I felt bad for him there because you know he he does make a couple whoopsies um, so one of the boys talks about how his dad almost won a shard blade, but, uh, one of somebody else in his army knocked him out. And when he woke up, the other guy had gotten the shard blade and become a light eyes. And Kaladin's like, well, I mean, where your dad was fighting, there wouldn't have been any shard bearers. And it's like, are you saying my dad's a liar? No, I'm just, I'm not calling you a truther. I'm just saying you know, maybe he's not remembering correctly. I mean, he did get hit on the head. You can, you know, have delusions. And this kid gets so mad. Um, and he's like, you insult my dad? Or fa is what they use for dad. Yeah. For father. That I like threw that. me off for a minute. But yeah, instead of calling him pa or whatever, yeah. it's fa. Fa. And uh, he grabs a quarterstaff and he's like, all right, uh... You insult my fa, you get a fight. That's honor. You have honor, lordling. Ooh. That's what Gaz calls him. Mm-hmm. I'm no lordling, Cal spat. Stormfather Jost, I'm only a few non higher than you are. <laughs> that was the huge mistake there. Oh, I'm not a lordling. I'm only this many social steps above you in the ladder. It's like Caladin. So they fight. It's, yeah, it, just back to that, where to Caladin, it may not seem like a big deal because he doesn't experience what they experience. And, and I, I just thought it was a really cool moment, the way Brandon Sanderson set it up, of the understanding between, mm-hmm. you know, well, you have all this stuff. Well, yeah, but it's not that much more stuff, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at first, like, Kaladin gets knocked down, mm-hmm. like, hard. He's like, oh, my gosh, you like better his- not have broken any of my ribs. Yeah. Um. But then something changes and Kaladin gets back up and he feels this energy, this excitement. And he... With the staff, like the quarter staff. Yeah, he goes after him. And he was amazed by how wonderful it feels. And he's just about to smash it into this guy's face, but then freezes. Joss was bleeding from the hand that Kaladin had hit. He Just a little, but it was blood. He'd hurt someone. Ooh, and he does not feel good about that no and then he gets he gets knocked down and and this basically this guy knocks him down on the ground and then you know just plants him down being like listen stay there but uh i had wondered if 
because it talks about the way Kaladin feels with the the quarterstaff in his hand and like he's just like he feels alive for the first time it feels like it's calling to him and I wondered if that was similar to Thrill that da- uh, Davilar Dalinar sorry thank you Dalinar um, had felt in a in a previous chapter um, if that's something he tapped into and then my brain went in a completely different direction and wonder if this world has reincarnation and Kaladin's remembering a past life like Davilar is clearly Dalinar is clearly seems to be remembering like oh I've stood here before like weird deja vu so I don't know but all right keep it keep an eye out for that okay um, I will Kaladin is like oh my gosh Joss you have to teach me how to do this and Joss is like no like if I hurt you your dad would come after me He's like, please, I'll do your chores. I'll go work in the field. I will do anything. And he's like, nope, I won't. I won't teach you. And so he's he's all upset about this. Um, and he comes home and he goes into the surgery. And his dad is there. And what piece of news does his dad have? Their high lord has died. Laurel's father has died. Um, and... Kaladin's like, well, did you do everything you could? And his dad's like, yeah, not everyone's going to see it that way, though. And again, that's a callback to um, to be a surgeon is a weird position in this village because you get paid on people's worst days, mm-hmm. you know. So, And uh, Kaladin's father says that the last request the High Lord had is he gifted him the spheres that are the light in the surgery room they just have like this goblet of a hundred diamond yeah diamond thrones and um cal's father is like yeah we're gonna use this money when you turn 16 these spheres will pay your way you're gonna go to call and you're gonna learn to be a surgeon and kaladin's like ugh ugh Ugh. <laughs> um, but but after the fight, oh yeah, I forgot. After the he fight, he gives them so he can light Kel's future, like light the way for Kel's future. Listen, I thought about that. Okay, mm-hmm. um, it's also like being adopted by Batman. Hey, look, we're millionaires now. <laughs> uh, he's just sitting down and setting the rocks that Tian gave him in his room. Tian gave him another rock after he lost the battle, and um, Kel is thinking about what he wants from the future. Uh, none of the things that Laurel talked about really mattered to him, but there was something when he held the quarterstaff. But he, uh, he doesn't get a choice. But that one moment holding the quarterstaff sang to him, a single moment of clarity in an otherwise confusing world. Bum, bum, bum. Okay, we did much better, but that was only 12 minutes for that chapter. <laughs> yes, I, it was. I think we can spend the next 20, 30 minutes on the next one and be fine. Okay. Okay. All right. It's time for... Chapter 17. A Bloody Red Sunset. Listen, I took so many notes for um, chapter 14 just because I'm trying to remember all these 15. things. and Oh, thank you. No, four... Yep, sorry. 15. Um, trying to remember who's connected with who and how things work and, you know, notes. I mean, I have, probably have three pages of notes mm-hmm. for, for chapter 15. Chapter. Yeah. Cocoon, the flashback, I just wrote down some, you know, questions I had, all these things. 
Bloody Red Sunset, I have four lines of notes because it's a very action-heavy chapter. And I was just like, what happens next? What happens next? What happens next? Oh, so we're out of the past now. Um, and Kaladin is going to visit an apothecary. And still, it's just like amazed at how old this guy is. She's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know men get this old. Um, Are you sure he's not a decay sprint wearing a man's skin? Okay, but like horrifying. Are there spren that can... Are there zombies in this show? I don't know. <laughs> show! <laughs> Surprise zombies. Shock zombies or shombies. <laughs> um... He's going to the apothecary, and at first the apothecary's like, do you want to charm against evil? And Calvin gives him a list of, like, I need bandages, a flask of lipstick oil, or knobweed sap, a needle, a gut, and, like, the apothecary, his eyes just open real big, and then Calvin just straight up says, listen, I'm, I'm the son of a surgeon, um, and I, uh, so it turns out Kaladin's dad did not train in Carbronth. But he was trained by another surgeon who went to Carbronth. So, like, Kaladin's dad, Liren, is trying to give Kaladin the opportunities he never had. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm realizing Cal probably didn't go to Carbronth at all. Like, he didn't go start learning stuff and then come back. I'm assuming he, like, ran off to become a soldier. Why would he do that? He has such a bright future. He has such a bright future with... A thousand sapphire bromes, but he wants to be a soldier and he follows his heart and it gets him to this place and I don't know what happens next. I'm really angry. <gasps> I'm not wearing my shirt. I got you do it. have a shirt on though. No, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Specificity. I got a Rafo shirt from Brandon's website uh, and I was going to wear it. I was going to wear it when we recorded this and I forgot. So I just looked down and remembered I wasn't wearing my Rafo shirt. I'm sorry, there should have been one more descriptor. She gets this horrified look at her face. I'm not wearing my shirt. I'm like, you are. Okay, here we go. Um, so the apothecary realizes that Kaladin's serious. He knows what he's about. And and uh, he he changes his demeanor a bit. To- like he stands up straighter. I, he was putting on a show, basically, I think, to be the wise yeah. old, you know herbalist or whatever and uh what kaladin asks for is so expensive there's no way he can pay for it on a bridgeman salary so all he really gets is um like a some like nasty extra boiled bandages that have probably already been used (laughs) yeah so he just gets the bandages the needle in the gut and he's like what am i trying to do uh and so he pays for it with with his pay and the apothecary is like why are you giving me done spears? And Kaladin's like, ugh. Do you know what? Gaz, he hates the Bridgman. He probably gave me, like, some almost run out spears anyway. But, but I mean, like, the guy checks it with, with a, a jeweler's, you know, examination monocle. What mm-hmm. is that, a loop? I, ooh, I don't know. Ah, uh, yes. He brought up the jeweler's loop. And so. L-O-U-P-E, for those who are wondering. Uh, so, yeah, Kaladin's like, they're glowing this morning. And so as he's giving Kaladin his change, uh, Kaladin's like, oh, can I have the one that's glowing? I mean, it's uh, always keep a glowing sphere in your pocket. It's good luck. And, yeah, so he still, he gets at least one glowing sphere. But the guy's kind of like, are you sure you don't want something 
to give to someone to make them like you more. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, leaning more towards like, oh, the followers of the camp, the ladies, like, can I interest you in that? And still later is like, we should give that to Gaz. He, we need him to like you more. I'm like, oh, you sweet, sweet girl. Love potions don't work like that. Um, Oh, also, okay, my question about her finally got answered. She's invisible to everyone else except Kaladin, Mm -hmm. which that was the first confirmation of that's how it is. Uh, So it's, uh, they're on duty. They don't like, sorry, the bridgemen are are on duty. So they would be on call today if there is a battle. So Kaladin's like, how am I going to spend the time? Uh, I don't want to run myself tired with a... With a plank, what can I do? But he doesn't have to worry about it because the horns sound. Mm-hmm. Like minutes after the... Because they go on on rotational shifts. Mm-hmm. And the people who were on shift, like the change of the guard happened. And like a few minutes later, the horn blows, which means Kaladin's people are up. Which means this other bridge crew missed it by minutes. And they're just like, oh, you know. Yeah. Uh, Kaladin mentions that the bridgemen worked so hard, and it wasn't because of threats of beatings. The bridgemen know if they can beat the Parshendi to the the Gemheart area, if they can get there first, they're not going to be in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, so first they cross like these permanent bridges, and uh. They, so after they cross the permanent bridges and they and they set it down the first time, Kaladin does something a little weird. He stands to parade attention at the side of his bridge. Most of the bridgemen they like collapse on the ground and they lay down and and Kaladin has thought that before, but um, he decides that he's going to stay standing and he watches just the soldiers go by. And one of the soldiers calls out to him, Ho, little bridgeman, curious of what real soldiers look like. And Kaladin can tell by the knots on the shoulders of this guy's jerkin that he's a squad leader. And Kaladin's like, I used to, I used to have knots like that on my insignia. I used to be that guy. And he's like, how do you treat your spear and shield, squad leader? And the man frowned, but Kaladin knew what he was thinking. A soldier's gear was his life. I'm going to take another read on that. How do you treat your spear and shield, squad leader? Kaladin called back. The man frowned, but Kaladin knew what he was thinking. A soldier's gear was his life. You cared for your weapon as you care for your children, often seeing to its upkeep before you took food or rest. Kaladin nodded to the bridge. This is my bridge, he said in a loud voice. It is my weapon, the only one allowed me. Treat her well. Or you'll do what? called one of the other soldiers, prompting laughter among the ranks. The squad leader said nothing. He looked troubled. Sowing seeds of dissident in Sadius's army. I'm here for this. Sadius even, uh, Sadius comes across Kaladin's bridge. Oh, that's right. Kaladin stands to attention to watch even Sadius cross over. But he knows at least, because I don't, Sadius didn't, like, pay any attention to him. Mm-mm. And Kaladin later realizes after Sadius has passed that he didn't bow to him. Which is like, I think punishable Whoops, by death, probably. sort of a thing. But he's like, he's like, I'm a bridgeman. <laughs> he's like, I don't think I could have done it, even if he like noticed me. But, anyways. But uh, 
they did not get to the platform soon enough. The Parshendi beat them there. Yep. And so we're about to come up into, we're going to form ranks. We're going to do the final approach. The final approach is just the worst part because we know now from talking with Sadius and Dalinar that the Parshendi are going to fire on as many bridgemen as they can. And Sadius brings double the amount of bridges he actually needs as bait for the Parshendi. Um, he is the devil incarnate. And now there is a strict order as to who gets to run where under the bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most dangerous is in the front. The safest is in the back. Kaladin's not supposed to be on the front today. They have a very strict rotation that is enforced by no one except the bridgemen. Yeah. Like, they're the ones that keep track of that. But Kaladin goes up to Rock. The Rock. No, just Rock. <laughs> and it's like, hey, you're in my spot. And Rock is like... Uh, am I? <laughs> and Kaladin sends him to the back. Mm-hmm. And he takes up like the most dangerous position because he's like, listen, I'm your bridge leader. This is my spot. And they run at the Barshendi. Once all the crews had their bridges up, Gaz gave the command, Assault! They ran, dashing alongside the standing ranks of the army, passing soldiers holding spears and shields. Some watched with curiosity, perhaps amused at the sight of the lowly bridgemen running so urgently to their deaths. Others looked away, perhaps ashamed of the lives it would cost to get them across that chasm. Uh, So Syl changes. She's no longer the form of a person. She changes to a ribbon of light as she stretches in front of him. The Parshendi archers are waiting, aiming at like five or six of the bridge crews and bridge fours obviously in their sights. They let go of their bows, and Kaladin screams, Tien. Oh, I hated it. Uh, so he's in the front with four other bridgemen, Merc, Leighton, Addis, and Coral. All four of them drop with arrows in them. Yep. Uh, Kaladin doesn't even know if he gets hit. He's still holding the front, and they, they keep running forward. He gets uh, sliced by an arrow near his ribs, but they get the bridge down. They get the bridge across. The cavalry's over. Uh, we did it. We made the approach. Um, Kaladin held his side, feeling the blood there. Straight laceration, only about an inch long, not wide enough to be of danger. It was his father's voice. And as this battle starts, he hears things his father told him in his head. Some people take lives. Other people save lives. So what does Kaladin do? Kaladin runs out into the battle to pick up the men that fell, the bridgemen, because they're his responsibility. And he goes after them to find them. And I think the first one he finds is dead? No, the first one he finds is Hobber. Oh, uh, he's got an arrow through his leg. And Kaladin, like, pulls him back towards the bridge and kind of, like, shoves him at the other bridgemen. And then... Turns right back around and he goes and looks for Corm, um, who was dead, uh, and Kaladin left the body. Um, they next find here. Let me see this. Yeah. Thank you, Gadel. Um, there's a deep wound in his side. Uh, there's blood on his temple. He's he's managed to crawl away from the bridge, um, and they're like they kind of like take shelter. Um, and let's see. He runs out to find 
one more. It's David, one of the bridgemen, because he counts, and there's only 29 of his 30 bridgemen there. Um, so he runs to find uh, David is huddled, like, way beyond, um, with, like, arrows flying back and forth. He's curled up. His arms twist at an awkward angle, and Kaladin charges in to go find him. David is in complete shock, and he can't pick him up. He's just so exhausted. And then Rock shows up. He picks, they pick him up, picks up Dabbit, and it's like, come on. Air sick lowlander. Well, he calls him crazy also. He's uh, just like, I can't believe, can't be- I think he's also calling himself crazy. Like, I'm crazy. He's crazy. Everybody's crazy. What are we doing here? Um, and. Well, he doesn't say crazy. He calls him an this? air sick. Oh, you're right. Air sick lowlander. Um, so they save Dabbit and Kaladin is like, there's four more people out there. We have to find them. And so, um, Teft, uh, another one of the bridge, one, uh, an, an older looking guy is like, okay, it's Merc and Leitman and Addis and Coral. They were right in the front. And Kaladin knows that Merc is dead. Uh, the others might live. And, uh, he's like, we have to go find them. And then Rock says, stay here. I'll do it. And so, they charge out. The others charge out to go find their missing bridgeman. And um, Kaladin is just like, I have to save these people. And he gets to work on the bridgemen that are there that he can save. And he's like, build a fire. I've got to cauterize. It's like he's just barking off orders like left and right. And um, and uh, so he's like... um. Somebody will get a knife. Somebody break open a rock bud. Get me the water gourd inside. And as he's doing this, he is um, examining the wounds and, like, categorizing how bad things are. Um, Gadol has is really cut uh, terribly bad. And he's about to start because Gadol starts spasming. Uh, Kaladin pressed bandages to the wound, feeling helpless. There wasn't a place he could make a tourniquet for a wound like this. There wasn't anything he could do, but Gadol spit up blood, coughing. They break the land itself, he hissed, eyes wide. They want it, but in their rage they will destroy it. Like the jealous man burns his rich things rather than let them be taken by his enemies. They come. He gasped, and then he fell still his dead eyes staring upward, his bloody spittle running down in a trail down his cheek. Hey, what was that about? So those were his final words, and it sounded very prophetic. Which is what I was guessing all along, but we still don't have confirmation that I'm right. So it's a lot like what the uh, epigraphs were uh, in part one. Mm -hmm. Um, And he... Uh, they bring back Leighton, um, and Kaladin, you know, as he's shouting, some of the bridgemen are obeying, some of the bridgemen are just watching. He, like, splints a leg, he... With what they have. Like, yeah. He's like, there's arrows all over, he uses an arrow to, to splint the, the leg, he uses the knife heated up in the fire to cauterize wounds, and he's just like, you will not die. You will not die. And that's all he says over and over and over, just as he's working frantically. He can't think of anything else. He's just like, they will not die. They will not die. You know. And then he's like, okay, uh, well, now I need to check everybody else's scrapes and cuts. And Teft is like, you should drink some water. Like, <laughs> you need it. And Kaladin's like, no, we gotta use the water to clean. And Teft is like, drink. And then 
Kaladin drinks the water and they're like, how do you, how do you know how to do this, man? And he's like, I wasn't always a slave. Um, but Rock is like, it won't make a difference. Like there's a, there's like a standing orders from gas. Yeah. There's standing orders. We can't bring back Bridgman who can't walk. And Kaladin's like, we'll, we'll tie them to the bridge. We'll carry them back. And they're like, Gaz won't. And so Kaladin goes to Gaz. And Gaz is like, absolutely not. And Kaladin's like, we're taking them. And Gaz is like, Bright Lord Lamoral, who's Gaz's imminent superior, like, Bright Lord Lamoral won't stand for this. And Kaladin's like, no, no, you send us last. Um, we'll escort back the wounded soldiers. So, like, we'll be a slower bridge anyway. And then... Kaladin's like, come on, I, I pay you for this. You won't say anything. And Gaz is like, oh, one clear mark? You think that'll that'll like make me take a risk? And then Kaladin gets really calm and he's like, if you don't let me do this, I will kill you and let them execute me. And Gaz is like, excuse me? <laughs> and like, I think he takes a better look at Kaladin who is covered in blood covered and probably has this wild look in his eye and he gives so he pays gas with a sphere and gas is like you're gonna pay me with a done sphere a dull sphere and Kaladin's like that's your fault you gave it to me those spheres were newly infused last night gas said they came straight from bright lord sadius's treasurer what did you do with them it's like you know, he's, he's, Kaladin's like, I, I, don't, I, don't know, I can't even talk about this. He doesn't even say anything. He just turns and walks away. And Gaz calls after him. Who are they to you? What do you even care? They're my men. Oh, yes, Kaladin. Yes. <sighs> so, uh, Kaladin and Syl, like, Syl's like, I think he's, like, what's going to stop him? He could just say you threatened him and send men to come after you. And then Kaladin's like, do you know what? We just, we're going to have to rely on his greed. And here's the end of the chapter. It was a bitter thought, but it had been a bitter day, a hopeful, bright beginning, and a bloody red sunset, just like every day. Dun, dun, dun. Thoughts. Um, I think that Kaladin has some sort of sp- not special powers, but I think when he gets all like, ah, you know, because listen, the bridgemen take all their valuable possessions with them when they run a bridge because, you know, if not, someone's just going to steal it. So, of course, he has his spheres on him. Um, excuse me. That when he gets the way he does where he's just like frantically trying to save lives or whatever, gets in a state, I think that he sucked out the stormlight into himself. Mm-hmm. Like uh, like shield plate, um, shard armor. And I think that they were bright and newly infused. And I think somehow Kaladin sucked the stormlight out of them. To slurp, slurp stormlight soup? Yep. Um, thoughts about the... And we're jumping back a little bit because okay. now we're going to view all of them. Uh, what do you think about the leather strap on the saddle? What do you think happened with it? <sighs> they... I don't know because uh, Davilar and Dalinar. Sorry, you'll get this. I will get this. Dalinar and Adolin were like, "Well, it doesn't look like it has been messed with." 
But maybe? And so they, they do want to go, you know, I don't know. I do think something's going on, but I, I don't know what. Like, I don't want to say, like, yes, they're trying to assassinate the king. Because, like they said, cutting, you know, making the saddle fall off. A, yeah. a man's wearing plate armor, shard armor, and he falls off his horse. It's not going to do anything. You know, and they, they couldn't have guessed that there was a chasm fiend. Unless, and here's my paranoid brain, uh-huh. unless someone would deliberately riled it up. Oh, is it the wit? Is it the king's wit? Is it Hoyt? Is he trying to kill Elokar? Did he go down and send the chasm fiend up? I think Elokar would like you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, where's the danger? Who's doing it? Um, and then my next question is, uh, what do you think's coming up next for Kaladin? Mm. I think he's going to get in trouble for bringing the wounded soldiers back. That's what I think. All right. Uh, so we are actually going to cover four chapters next week. One of them is very tiny. It's only like three pages. Okay. So the four chapters we're going to cover are 18, High Prince of War, 19, Star Falls. Ooh. 20. Scarlet. And 21. Why men lie. Oh, is that a sill chapter? I'm guessing that's a sill chapter. And I've got to practice some of my Unalaki pronunciation to see if I can pull something off at the end of chapter um chapter 21. Alright, cool. But uh we are not going to record this for at least another week because I have to get my book submission written. And I have to get back to writing storyboards. So guess what? I believe in you. <gasps> I believe in you. Really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ready, break. so funny. I actually re-listen to our podcast quite often because I just, I like listening to it. I like hearing Emily and me talk about Wave Kinks and other such sundry medias. Thank you so much for listening to My Sister Made Me View It Wave Kings edition. Check us out online at Sis Made Me View It on our different socials and you can always find all of our episodes at our website sismidmeviewit.com A very special thanks to Michael Biancardi for use of his song A Passing Storm as our opener and closer. Make sure you tune in Tuesday, September 5th for <laughs> Make sure you turn in Tune in Make sure you tune Wow, listen, I've got this Make sure you turn in Tuesday, October 5th for our next entry in our Haunting of Hill House coverage and Thursday, September... (laughs) And Thursday, October 7th to catch our next Roswell 1999 episode. And we'll be back with Way of Kings the week after that on October 14th. All of you have a wonderful day and thank you so much for listening to our podcast. I super believe in you. Bye.